Welcome back to our study on the book of Galatians. And uh, you've caught me here just trying to flip over to Galatians. We're going to be in chapter 4 today. We talked last, uh, last time uh, in chapter 3 about sonship, about being children of God. And we're going to talk more about that today as it relates to being heirs of something. Uh, we're, Galatians, remember in the context, we have Christians in this region of the world and they're being bombarded with false teaching and false prophets. And this is a, a clear problem throughout the, the, the first century world that Paul is dealing with in Ephesus and, in, and in, here in Galatia. There are people trying to lead them astray, trying to teach them things that are not true. And Paul is combating that. So we go to chapter 4. Now he's been talking about your, being, your children of God and how you are made children of God. Remember uh, verse 26 and 27, you're all the sons of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Um, and, and that makes you equal under the eyes of God, under the law of God. Uh, there's no more Jew and Gentile. We're not going to have this fight anymore because we've got people coming in here trying to enforce the law of Judaism on Christians, particularly in the realm of circumcision. Now, I can't think of a way to discourage more people from, from accepting Jesus. However, uh, he's combating this because they're trying to bind on people laws that are no longer in force. And so Paul is making the point, you're made children of God and it's not by the law, it's by adoption into the kingdom through baptism. And he's going to go into talking about what it means to be children of God. And that makes us heirs to something. If you're, if you're someone's child, you stand to inherit something, okay? What will that be? Let's look at chapter 4 now, beginning in verse 1. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. All right, let's stop there for a second. Um, he's going to draw a contrast between being a slave and being, and being someone's child, okay? What is the difference? Um, now, this was a time when slaves existed, indentured servitude, that sort of thing existed, okay? So let's not get hung up on the cultural fact that that existed although we detest such an idea today. Paul lived in a time where it was different, and it was handled differently even by Christians. And so he's making the point that, coming off of verse 29 of chapter 3, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. He's saying spiritually you're the descendants of Abraham because God has invited you into the family. God's adopted you into the family, so spiritually you are children of Abraham. You don't have to physically be children of Abraham. You don't have to be Jewish to be accepted by Christ. You are adopted spiritually into that same genealogy, into that same nation. And so he makes this point. The heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. So when you're young, when you're, you know, you're still under the authority of, of the head of the household, just as a slave would be. But there is a difference because though he is the owner of everything, the, the child is still part of the family that owns everything. So even though functionally there's no difference between the slave and the child, there is something that's significantly different, and that is what the child stands to inherit. Verse 2, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. Verse 3, now an explanation. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So he's saying, back then, under the old law, under the Old Testament, you were just children, and you were enslaved by the law. You were under the authority of the law. But when the time came, 
Jesus shows up. And Jesus, through his life and his death and his resurrection, has brought us into union with God and made us part of the family. We've, we've come of age as adopted children and heirs, and that's the, that's the blessing of being adopted. We are not slaves anymore. So he's drawing this contrast. You have slaves and you have children, and the only difference between them is that eventually the child's going to grow up and they're going to own everything. And Jesus is what brought forth that maturity to complete and perfect our adoption as children and to bring us into our own as heirs of the promise. Verse 6, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. I love the imagery of hearts crying out. That's, that's seen a lot in Scripture, both in Old and New Testament. That's what our souls are doing apart from Christ. We're crying out for a Savior. We're crying out for an answer. We are hopeless and helpless in the face of our sin. And our souls cry out to God, please do something about this. And he answered in the form of Christ and in his spirit. And he pours that into our heart as we cry, Abba, Father. Verse 7, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Okay, so we have the child and the slave. No difference except here comes the child growing up, coming of age. And through Christ, we do that. And now we are heirs. We join with God and with Christ in this kingdom. Verse 8, formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. So because you, you, when you didn't know God, when you didn't have a relationship with him, you were a slave to everything in this world, everything that demanded your time, attention, and energy. But now that you have come to know God, I love this, now that you've come to know God, or rather to be known by God, oh, and which one is more important? I mean, I can say I know Tom Brady. I know who he is. I see his picture all the time. He's in the news today because he's coming out of retirement. Um, and I can say I know him because I do. I know who he is. I know where he plays. Uh, I know, you know, I know his wife, and I, I know uh, uh, the team he's with, and and the people he's played for. But if I saw Tom Brady on the street, he would not know my name. He wouldn't know me. So it doesn't matter how much I know him. What matters is does he know me? And it doesn't matter how much I know God. What matters is, does he know me? So I love the way Paul says this here, um, that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God. How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? He's saying, look, you got adopted. Why are you going to go off and try to be an orphan again? You were brought into the family. He pulled you out of that enslavement to the law. Why are you going to turn back and be slaves again? That doesn't make any sense. You observe days and months and seasons and years. This was something, by the way, that they did under their law. They observed certain times of year and certain days, and they had ritual, and they had instruction for all of those things. He said, you, you observe those things. And he said, I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Wow. Paul worked really hard to bring these people to Jesus, to show them the gospel. And now they're slipping back, reverting back because of the influence of false prophets, false teachers, and people who, for their own gain, would do them harm. And Paul says, maybe I wasted my time. If you don't see that you're settling for less by going along with this, then maybe I wasted my time. And, and then he appeals to them in this way. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also become as you are. 
You did me no wrong. Now, he's going to talk about some personal history here. So let's, let's get through this. You know, it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. Uh, what then has become of your blessedness? All right. He's saying, when I, when I was with you, I was sick. There's something physically wrong with him. Looks like maybe blindness or something uh, is implied here. We don't really know. But Paul wasn't, Paul had some issues physically, right? I mean, he was older and the descriptions we have of him from other sources, you know, he, he, he had some troubles. So Paul's there and part of the reason he's there is he's got some physical ailment and they're taking care of him and he's preaching the gospel. And he's saying, hey, you know, when I came to you, I had this problem and you took care of me and you didn't, you didn't think twice about it. You received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? Where did this grace go? You had this grace and love for me. You took care of me. You didn't ask questions. And he says, for I testified to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. That's why we think it might be blindness. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make, uh, excuse me, that, that, that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is, forming in you, is formed in you. Okay, so Paul makes a personal appeal here. He says, you know, I was with you, and you were gracious, kind people, and you didn't think twice about it. You didn't ask questions. And now you seem to have lost all your grace and patience for one another by allowing these people to influence you that you should bind these laws on one another. Because what they were doing is these people were coming in and saying, oh, but you got to follow the old law before you can follow Christ. And people were saying, I don't think so. I don't want to do that. And others were saying, yeah, you should do it. And creating division and infighting amongst the Christians that were already there. And Paul's saying, have you forgotten how kind you were to me? Do that for one another. Why are you letting these people influence you in this way and tear you apart? They're only doing it for their own glory and their own benefit. Uh, and so Paul is appealing to them, and he is saying he is pained for them. Verse 20, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. He's saying, I wish I could go back and be a little bit tougher on you, because I really can't figure out why you're doing this. Verse 21, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born according to the promise. we got to go back and remember the story. Uh, God promised Abraham that he would have a son. Now, he was advanced in age. He didn't have any children. His wife, advanced in age, didn't have any children. And they weren't sure about this at first. But they did believe, and God said, you're going to have a son, and it's going to produce many nations, and you, you are going to be... Uh, the father of these many nations, and through you will come the glory of the world, Jesus. Um, Abraham got impatient. He said, yeah, I, I don't know about this. And Sarah says, yeah, I don't know about this. Uh, but I've got this slave. We, you know, they had a slave, Hagar. Maybe maybe she could give you a son. All right? Now, again, this, this seems a little strange to us, right? But it would not have been strange at the time. Th these kinds of things were viewed differently um, in that part of the world in that time. It was acceptable. If Sarah says, okay, you can, you can sleep with my, my slave, my servant, do it. And so he did. 
and that produced a son, Ishmael. And God says, that's not what I had in mind, guys. And instead, later on, Abraham and Sarah produce a son, Isaac. Now, we know which one through, through whom the, the Israelites come and through whom uh, Jesus comes. That's Israel, or excuse me, Isaac, Isaac, um, who, who was the father of Israel. So if the promise is fulfilled through Isaac, what, what of Ishmael? Well, Ishmael goes off and he has his own lineage, which is the Arab world, okay? And, and we can trace uh, Islam through and the Arab world through Ishmael. And the conflict between these two sides of the family has been ongoing. Um, the, the Israelites fled in part, part of them at least, fled to Egypt for a time. And then they returned from Egypt. Now we read that and understand that in scripture, they fled Jerusalem, some of them went to Egypt, some of them went off to Babylon, some of them stayed in Jerusalem. Those that went to Egypt, they had a life there. They were influenced there. Their language changed while they were there. Then they come back. Uh, if you ask a Muslim about that history, they will say, oh, Jews are just Arabs that betrayed their, their countrymen. That's why they hate them, is because that's the story that they know. Well, the Jews know another story, that they were expelled and then they returned, uh, and they are not Arab. But these are the two sides of this same family, Isaac and Ishmael. And that, that history continues to repeat itself. And so this statement here by Paul, he says, you know, look at Abraham. Abraham had two sons. One of them was a product of the fleshly act of reproduction. The other was the product of a promise that God made. There was no way Abraham should have been able to have children with Sarah. But he did because God made it so. One is the promise. One is the flesh. And he's putting this up as a, as a contrasting kind of um, example here to say, which one are you going to choose? Uh, verse 24. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are uh, not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those, who, uh, those of the one who has a husband. Okay, let's cut through some of this. Uh, he makes this analogy. You have Sarah, you have Hagar, you have Isaac, you have Ishmael. One uh, is, is the product of two people reproducing. The other is the product of a promise God made. And they know the history and they know the story. And he's saying, you know, um, you're choosing the slavery. You're choosing the subordination of the law. You're not choosing the promise that produces freedom. You are choosing the wrong family. God adopted you into his family, and you're choosing to go back to a life of slavery and oppression under the law, and it seems foolish. Verse 28, now you brothers like Isaac are children of promise, but just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, and the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. And he's saying, just like God said Hagar had to go, 
And Ishmael had to go because we can't have two heirs to God's singular promise. He's saying there's not enough room for both of you here. Those who are trying to make you slaves, who are turning you against each other, there's no room for them in the kingdom. Isn't that interesting? The way we define false prophets and false teachers today has a lot to do with doctrine. When you read about it in scripture, they don't talk a lot about doctrine. Now, we can say that circumcision is a doctrine. Okay, fine. But Paul says cast them out, and it's not on the basis that, of, of their false teaching necessarily. It's on the basis of the division that they're causing, the divisive people. Now, false teaching produces division. Let's be clear about that. But he wants them expelled. He wants them expelled because they're trying to destroy. And how are they trying to destroy? Not by teaching something just different, but teaching something that is contrary to the gospel. They're teaching a different gospel. They're saying there's a different way that you're going to get saved besides Jesus, and that's the test. If it's Jesus and something, you know you're off the mark. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. And everything that flows from us flows from the Father and flows from the Son. And that's how we're guided in this life. That's Galatians chapter 4. We've got two more chapters to go. We'll see you next time for chapter 5.